Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Thank you so much for having me here. Um, sorry, I'm going to just move this to the side. As Pastor Gary mentioned, I do have four kids, all under 12. I have not slept in roughly a decade, so, um, um, but it's good to be here. The good news is I'm always up early, 5.30 a.m., just like clockwork. I want to tell you a little bit about my parents because it ties into the message. My dad is a Taiwanese immigrant. My mom is a French immigrant. They both came to San Francisco in the 70s, right in the middle of the hippie movement. And they don't come from a long lineage of of Christians or uh, we definitely don't come from a pastoral family. And uh, they were both the first generation Christians that got saved here in San Francisco. And um, my dad's story in particular is interesting because he was abused for 18 years of his life by his father. Physically, verbally, uh, almost any type of abuse you can imagine. That was how my dad grew up for 18 years. And uh, when he was physically able to push back, he ran away. He was actually homeless in the city for a little bit. And then he just turned all of his trauma into hard work ethic. And he worked his way up the corporate ladder. And uh, my dad worked his way into a position, a very great position, at a five-star hotel in San Francisco. And uh, he used to work the night shift. And he was the head auditor. And one night... After working, he was about to go home, but noticed he had a flat tire. And he didn't even know where he parked his car. He just looked for the cheapest district to park his car in. And and so he's waiting for the tow truck. And out of the corner of his eye, he starts to see uh, these teenagers beat up this young boy. And this is where the trauma that you've personally experienced begins to actually uh, make a difference. When you see injustice that resonates with your personal story, and that's what happened to my dad. He knew exactly what that young boy was feeling because of his own personal abuse that he went through. And he just knew he had to do something. And uh, on the, ultimately, my dad actually ignored that whole situation and just drove home. And that's when he heard God speak to him for the very first time in his life. What would you have done if that was your son? See, my dad, the interesting thing about that story, though, uh, is my dad was only a few months old in the Christian faith. You see, my dad had met Jesus just a few months earlier. My dad was, was a partier. My dad used to be, my parents used to, before Jesus, they used to be super cool, okay? Like, they, they listened to great music, Fleetwood Mac, Tower of Power, you know, all the good music of the 70s. I mean, and then my parents got so radically saved, the pendulum swung all the, I mean, I was raised on Keith Green. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's, I mean, you know, we went from Tower of Power, Fleetwood Mac to Keith Green, okay? I remember my parents flushing wine down the toilet, smashing cigarettes. I mean, they got a radical transformation. It was real to them, okay? And, I mean, we couldn't even eat Lucky Charms as kids, okay? You know what? want to know why? There's no such thing as luck. Only God's sovereignty, okay? <laughs> That's how radical the salvation was when it hit our home. Oh, by the way, my dad was saved. He was passed out because they had partied all night and he was passed out on the couch after a night of partying and he was saved through Jimmy Swaggart on TV. 
That's how he heard the message of Jesus Christ. My dad subconsciously, like at 3 a.m. in the morning, was like, this is the hope I've, I've been looking for my whole life. Who is this man, Jesus? So that was a few months earlier, and then he had this encounter, and his reaction to the encounter of seeing this young boy getting beat up, he ignored it, and God said, what would you have done if that was your son? And what I love about my parents is that Saturday, they started going into the Tenderloin community and feeding people. That was the only thing they knew to do. They had experienced Christ themselves, Christ's salvation themselves, and the, the initial reaction to that is we got to tell other people. And I'll tell you that story because that has a lot to do with what I'm going to talk about today, love reconciling races. But many times, God's plan and purpose for our lives isn't necessarily what God wants to do through us immediately because we are just doers. A lot of times, we, you know, we, we are just as human beings, we want to accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And so we translate that into our walk with God. But can I just tell you this? I mean, I'm, I'm only 36 years old, okay? And, uh, but I've noticed one thing in my life that it, God's plan and purpose for our life isn't just what God wants to do through you. That's part of it, but it's very minuscule. It's mostly what God wants to do in you because the purpose of our life and and the reason why we have this Bible and the reason why I have community and the reason why Jesus is the, the purpose for your life is God wants to conform you into the image of Christ and that's an internal work. And by the way, you may say to yourself, young man, you have no idea which I'm, I'm twice your age and I've lived. Listen, we are not done until we go. You could be 70, 80, 90 years old and Christ is still working in you. He's st- because we are never yet done until we see him face to face. And that's why we're here this morning. You know, the Christian faith derives from the Jewish race. It was the covenant promise made to a man, a Jewish man named Abraham. And the overall display of God's uh, promise and commitment to a nation called Israel. But in reality... He uses the nation of Israel and the covenant promise to a man named Abraham as an example of how he ties his covenant promise to us. Because he told Abraham, hey, through you, all nations will be blessed. You know, as Pastor Gary mentioned, I have four kids and uh, I'm, I'm an Asian American young man. And I have four children. And just like any good Asian dad would, I named my three boys good, strong Jewish names. <laughs> Threw my whole family for a loop. I was like, my firstborn is going to be named Malachi, which means God's messenger. My second, he's here in the back row. His name is Micah, which means who's like Jehovah. My third son is named Levi, which means harmony with God. And we have a daughter as well. And I figured, well, I named the three boys. I let my wife name the daughter. And she named her Maya, which means... Rice Valley. Um, (laughs) Of no spiritual significance, but nonetheless, she has a purpose for her life. Why did I name my, my children such strong Jewish names? Because our, our, my spiritual inheritance is tied to the Jewish race. But even more than that, it's tied to a man named Jesus Christ. Now, the Jewish people were governed by this Jewish law, which encompassed basically three major aspects. There was the ceremonial law, which was how to worship God. Then there was the civil law, which is how how to live in society and behave culturally. And then there was the moral law, which is basically how do you live according to God's will and his standards. And there were over 600 of these Jewish laws. Now, these God-given laws were integral In setting apart this nation, this Jewish race, apart from all the other nations, 
God would always tell his people, hey, even if the other nations do this or do that or do that, he goes, these laws will keep you tied to me. This is how you will be recognized as my people. But the issue, however, was that the other nations and ethnicities and the peoples on the earth, they needed to be connected to the living God as well. Isn't that right? Thank God he didn't just tie his covenant to just the Jewish race. The other nations needed God as well. And knowing that, that's why Jesus came. Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his current intercession is all a means to ensure that all people can experience God's new covenant, his new promise. Thank God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. It was to make sure that all people, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every color can be reconciled to the living God. Sinners reconciled to a holy God. So this gospel of Jesus, this good news of Jesus is a message of a reconciliation. We were dead, now we are alive. We were God's enemy, now we are his sons and daughters. That's a huge message of reconciliation. And we as Christians now must live this message in the world. Now we can see the early church in the book of Acts and throughout the epistles of the New Testament, they had to shift now. Okay, so, so pretend you're a Jewish person 2,000 years ago, and, and, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes, and he's, he's, he's buried, and he rises again, and now all of a sudden he's giving this new commandment, okay? And he's fulfilled all of the 600 commandments, and now we have this new commandment, which is to love God and to love people. But 2,000 years ago, if you could see all through Acts and the epistles, that these new Jewish believers had to shift their many, many years of devotion to a cultural custom of the law to now this gospel, which practically meant including other races. It was a big transition. It was a big transition. In fact, Jesus had to teach Peter, like his number one apostle, right? He, he, he had to teach Peter, his number one disciple, in Acts 10, he had to show, Jesus had to show up to Peter in a vision in Acts 10. You should read it. It's an incredible story where he had to teach Peter. He said, Peter, don't call any other race unclean. Don't look down upon all the other races. In fact, go to this Gentile man. Gentile means non-Jew. Go to this non-Jew. Go to this man named Cornelius. He's praying to me right now. And I want you to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because I want to impart my Holy Spirit upon him and his family. And, and Peter was like so shaken up by this because back then, again, they were devoted to this cultural law, which basically says we don't even associate with Gentiles. And Jesus goes, no, new message. Everyone's included. Go to Cornelius' house. And all of a sudden, Peter goes. He preaches the good news. The Holy Spirit falls on a Gentile family. And Peter goes, wow, this message is for real and it's for everyone. And then you fast forward. That was an Acts. You fast forward and then you come to the scripture we just read. Where now Peter, okay, so Peter, you know, you know he, he's like, you know, he shifts a lot. You know, his devotion wanes here and there. And, uh, uh, but, but all of a sudden through Pentecost and through receiving the Holy Spirit, he found this newfound boldness and he's preaching in Acts. But then all of a sudden in Galatians, there's this interesting story of him falling into, basically again, racial discrimination. He's sitting with Gentiles. And he's eating with them. Good. Story so far is great. But all of a sudden some Jews arrive and he starts to slowly back away. 
and he separates himself and he fears the opinions of the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden, Paul, (laughs) the apostle, I love Paul. Paul plays no games. He calls him out in front of everyone. He says, hey, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You received this gospel of inclusion and yet you backed away from the Gentile people when Jews showed up. You have discrimination in your heart. You have prejudice still. Now I share the historical context and Peter's story because I I find that it reminds us and it should encourage us, first of all, not not encourage us in a good way, but encourage us that that, uh, in this way, the historical context, that discrimination, especially racism, it's a history-long problem. It is a global problem. It's massive. It's devastating. It's bloody. It's murderous. It's not just geographical and it's not just recent here in America. It has been around since the dawn of time. It's in our blood. The problem, it's in our DNA. And I share the story of Peter because it encourages us in this regard that we see it, that it creeps into the church even and into Christians as early as the story we just read about Peter. As early as just a few years after Jesus leaves, there's still discrimination. There's several key points that we learn about this portion of scripture in Galatians. Peter, he was a Christian. He literally walked with Jesus. We walk with Jesus by faith, okay? Not by sight. We've never seen him physically. Maybe some of you seen a vision or a dream, and I'm not discounting that. But Peter literally walked with Jesus. So he's a Christian. He walked with Jesus. He, his actions and his passion has waned back and forth. I mean, in one story, he's passionately following Jesus. In another story, he's denying him. In one story, like he's saying, Jesus, go away from me, I'm a sinner. In another story, he's telling, hey, wash my whole body, not just my feet. Come on, Peter's crazy sometimes. You know, Peter literally defends Jesus and cuts a soldier's ear off in one story. And just a few minutes later, he doesn't even have the boldness to stand up to a teenage girl to acknowledge he knows Jesus. And same is true as he sees people of other races. He found this newfound bold conviction in, in Acts, and he says, this message is for everyone. Everyone is included. That's in Acts 2. And then in Galatians, he wanes again, and he's separating himself from the very people he just said was included. And Paul calls him on his hypocrisy. Now, we may look at Peter and say, Peter, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How can you go from Acts 2 to Galatians and wane in your inclusion of others? But you know what? Reading about Peter is kind of like looking at a really bad piece of artwork 100 feet away and saying, man, that is really ugly. Only to realize that as you approach, it's a mirror. (laughs) Peter, what is wrong with you? What in the world? There's something. And then you realize, ah, the story of Peter is my story. It's our story. We fall into the same hypocrisy sometimes. We wane in our conviction. We know our doctrine. Oh yeah, we know our theology. But our practology, our actions, do they really line up with inclusion of everyone? Of all races? Or is there a subtle racism that is still within our hearts even as Christ followers? 
I love Paul's writing because he's such a logical truth teller. And in this progression of, of the story of Galatians, the progression of racial, and not just racial, maybe it's economical. Maybe you love all the races, but economically you look down upon those that are socioeconomically a little less than you. Or maybe politically or, or socially, it's, it could be all kinds of discrimination. But, but the progression is this. I mean, Peter was eating, then he drew back, he separated, he was afraid, he people pleased, he lived in hypocrisy. And then his actions led other people astray. And basically, Paul says, you didn't line up with the gospel. And isn't that the progression? We, we include others because we know deep down inside, like we know as Christ followers, we should include other people, everyone. We know it's right, especially as Christians. But then you draw back at a certain point. There's always a certain point where we say, oh, I have to draw the line there. And then you separate and you draw back. Because you people please. That's really what it boils down to. You're afraid of the people's perception of whom the group you're a part of. And you, and you say, oh, I can't associate with you all the way, like partly. And then what happens is your lifestyle then begins to look hypocritical. And thus, maybe other people are being led astray. Ultimately, though, it's not in line with the gospel. The idea that there is an us in them is antithetical to the Christian gospel, the good news of Jesus. It can't be. We want others to act like us, behave like us, and look like us. Why? So that you can feel better about you? That's egocentric. That's narcissistic. It's all about you. You want to feel more comfortable so you'll draw a line? That's why I'm a firm believer that we should not be saying, hey man, I'm colorblind. I don't see race. No, no, no. We don't need to be, we need to see color. Come on, anybody appreciate color TV? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Listen, I'm color, but I don't see. No, we need to see race. We need to appreciate culture and celebrate others. Why? That's how we enjoy life and experience the fullness of God's glory. Because God, I, I, this may be news for some of you. I'm not trying to, you know, to belittle anyone here, but he's not Caucasian American. God is God. And his son Jesus is dark-skinned. This is the truth and this is the reality. The underlying issue of all discrimination, racism, prejudice is, first of all, pride. Pride. And it manifests through superiority. That's the underlying issue here. That is the underlying issue of all discrimination, racism, prejudice. It's systemic from pride, and it usually manifests as superiority. And it comes directly from the playbook of Satan himself, who pretentiously set himself up above others. He said, look, I am superior to other created beings. And although Satan was explicit and arrogant about it, he was explicit about it. He literally said it out loud. It's, it's no more worse than us where it is subtle in our minds. And I love that, that God kept this story about Peter in the Bible because it only proves that it's nothing new that we're dealing with. Because the underlying issue is the pride. And the underlying attack, what is the real attack about? When we are attacking other race, or we, we look down upon other, what is the attack really about? Identity. 
The moment we put ourselves in one category, and we, cre- we create another category called others. And when we do that, we're assuming that they are not made in the image of God. I am. The reality, though, is this. Every single human being on the planet is made in the image of God. God loves America. God loves China as well. God loves India. He's not just our own God that we get to create in our own mind. You know, we were in the inner city for 34 years. My parents are still there. And, uh, uh, you know, what I appreciate my parents is they started on that one Saturday, started feeding people. In 34 years, they never left. They quit all their jobs. And that's been the story of our family for 34 years. And I helped them for 16 of those 34, helping lead the organization and serving anywhere I could. And if you ask my dad, dad, what is the toughest part of leading inner city ministry in San Francisco? It's not fundraising. That's an issue. Trust me. It's not the high cost of living in San Francisco. That's an issue. Oh, yeah. It's not staff turnover. It's hard to keep staff in the Tenderland District motivated. Okay? But it's not that. He says it was the first 15 years of God dealing with my own heart. He goes, that was the toughest. See, because my dad had two things going on during that time. He had, a, he had a socioeconomic prejudice and racial prejudice. And it was in his heart and he didn't even know about it. See, my dad... He grew up in this Taiwanese home. Again, they were not Christians. And, and, and there was abuse, there was conniving, there was jealousy, there was rage, there was racism in my family uh, as he was growing up. And, uh, and he was told at growing up that Taiwanese are the best Asians. Better than mainland China, the, the mainland Chinese. For sure better than Japanese and Koreans and, and definitely way better than Southeast Asians. That was how he grew up. That was drilled into, and that was just that geographical area. When they came to San Francisco, that prejudice then was translated to Caucasians. Watch out for them. <laughs> the blacks, the Hispanics, and, and that's all he knew growing up. Growing up was, was and, and so that, that actually his family of origin began to manifest in his own ministry. He would be ministering and, and preoccupied in his mind saying, I got to go wash my hands because, because I, I, I know God called me to, to, to reach out to homeless, but man, they are, they, they are this and they are that. And, they, and all he could do during ministry was think about, I can't wait to go wash my hands. It took years for God to take that away and convict him. And, 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 and then all of a sudden God said, hey, how come you don't eat with people in the tenderloin? What's wrong with you? Are you above them? For years, it took, it took my, my, and it was kind of like Peter. My dad would sit at the table with others, with other races, and he would serve them, but he then drew a line at the point of, well, will you eat with him? Uh, I need to draw a line there because I like to eat in a clean restaurant with this particular food. I'll, I'll sit at the table and I'll serve it. And God had to deal with him for 15 years. That was the toughest part. Not just those two. There was a lot of issues, 15 years worth of issues, but those were the two main ones. God rebuked my dad. Stop washing your hands. And the main thing that the God, God was telling my dad was, you are not above people. We are all in the same boat. Empathize. Get into their story. And you are just like them. No better. And the, hey, the moment he had personal breakthrough, there was always ministry breakthrough. So how can we reconcile race as Christians? Well, just want to leave you with three simple thoughts. We first must believe the gospel in our core. The problem with Peter was that his convictions were not yet firm. You could see it. 
He was still in people-pleasing mode, still cared about the perception of others, whereas Paul had been so radically like, bought into the gospel, he was able to rebuke a man that literally walked with Jesus. Paul's convictions were firm. Peter's were still being formed. So how do we reconcile race? It first starts with, do we truly believe this gospel message? I mean, because the word hypocrite literally means playing or acting a part. Peter acted one way in front of the Gentiles, and when the Israelites, or when, when people, uh, the Jewish people showed up, he, he acted a different way. No one drifts towards holiness, folks. It is not a natural tendency to wake up and say, I will do everything, Holy Spirit. Our flesh is weak. Our spirit may be willing. Our flesh is weak. No one naturally drifts towards holiness. No one naturally drifts towards humility and considering others better than you. And no one naturally drifts towards reconciliation. Oh God, just put in me a heart to... No, no, no. You have to work at it. You have to work towards fighting your own prejudice. You got to keep it in check. Look at Peter in Acts 2. He's saying, everyone, Joel chapter whatever, I forget what it was. He was preaching Joel and he was like, the spirit will fall on all flesh. Everyone's included. In Galatians, he's backing away from the very people he included. Why? No one, it's not natural. You got to work toward it. But it starts with the gospel. So how do you firm up your convictions? The gospel is Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. Read that over and over until you believe in the core that it is not your decisions that saved you. It was God's grace that saved you. Have you forgotten where you were before Christ? He took you from death to life. You were his enemy. Now you're his son and daughter. Was it your own choice? Did you find God? If you sitting in this, well, I found God. I, I made great decisions. I was born into Christianity. Then you do not know the gospel in your core. Because the Bible says we did not call him. He called us. We didn't love him first. He loved us. We weren't alive saying, I need an additive to make my, my American dream a little better. No, no, no. He's not the additive. He is life. I don't know about you, but do you remember where you came from? We were dead in our trespasses. We were by, by nature objects of wrath. We were on the way to hell and God said, not this one. This is my son. This is my daughter. And he saved you and he breathed life into you and he marked you with a purpose. Now when you believe that, there's no room to lift yourself up above others because you realize we're all in need of grace. Well, well why would God save me and not my neighbor? He saved you so you can help your neighbor. Sorry, I thought that was funny, but... Uh... <laughs> True reconciliation has to come from a core belief. Do you truly believe that you were saved by, you know, some of you, you've done very well for yourselves. Obviously, you're living in Redwood City. You're in the Bay Area. I don't care. You're great. You're doing great. And you say, well, you know, I, I, I was just like those homeless people. I, I, I was just like your dad. I was abused. I, 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 was, I was neglected. I, I was set up and, and uh, I didn't have anything going for it. I pulled myself up from my own bootstraps. And you have less grace than, I, than others. Because you say, well, I worked hard for this. Might I remind you Deuteronomy chapter 8? I love this verse. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth. 
Why were you born into your family? Why were you chosen? Why did you get that education? Why do you have the current position you're in? Why do you have retirement right now? Why are you so blessed? It's God that allowed you to do that. Once you realize God's grace on your life, you'll be able to extend it to others. And when you find a lack of grace, there's a lack of belief that you were given grace. Secondly, we need to confess our sin. We are generally proud as human beings. We have, we have prejudice, whether it's racial, socioeconomic, political, denominational, intellectual. Some of you, even right now, you're just like, look at that guy. He has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> That's what my wife says. Hey, um, intellectual, maybe occupational. It doesn't have to be a huge ordeal as far as your repentance, but you have to be honest. That's where it starts from. It's a prayer like this, Father. I've somehow grown proud and believe that I'm superior than other people. Teach me to be more like your son, Jesus, who was a servant to all. He had equality with God, but he didn't even consider that. And he came as a servant and he washed human beings' feet. Lord, I don't have that. Can you give that to me? And then we need to imitate Christ's humility. That's Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, where it says we need to show tenderness and compassion. When you turn on the the, the television, you see a a, a particular race in our country, and they're out there, and they're hurting, and, and they're protesting, and they're marching. They're trying to let their voice be heard. And if you flippantly just say, oh, they need to get a job. They need to do this. Well, if they would just pull themselves up like I did. Look, look, you are not Philippians 2. You don't look like Christ And you're supposed to be in his family because Jesus had equality with God, yet he showed tenderness, he showed compassion, he considered others better than himself, he showed love, and the definition of love is in 1 Corinthians 13, patience, long-suffering. Some of you fear, just like I do. My biggest fear in life is that people will take advantage of me. If we show too much tenderness, too much compassion, if we show too much humility, they'll walk right all over us. Well, welcome to becoming like Christ. They walked all over him too. That's how we share in his suffering. Practically, church, I leave you with this because I have two minutes, 26 seconds. Because I'm a practical guy. I'm not a theoretical theologian. I am just, a, I love to do. And this whole message means nothing unless we do something about it. Would you eat with someone of another ethnicity this week? Now, I've learned this. If you approach almost anything in life with humility, I've never been rejected yet. There are things I don't understand about certain races. I'll, I'll go to them and I'll say, hey, look, I just, call it ignorance, naivete. But can we just grab a meal and like, help me understand. I, I never appreciated Indian food until I had an Indian friend. And I said, look, can you take me out to eat? I just wanna, I wanna eat everything that's good in your palate. And I wanna, I just tell me about it and I wanna experience, I love Indian food. How did that start? Humbling myself and, 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 and like literally a desire to want to know. Eat with someone this week. And don't be weird about it, Christians. We can win the world over if we stop being weird, okay? Don't go on Facebook today and say, hey, I'm looking for a Chinese guy to eat lunch with me this week. Stop it, okay? Stop. No, that's not going to work. Come with humility. Would you, would you take me to your favorite restaurant? And here's the thing. Number two, listen. Can you tell me your story? I have such a love for, for Cambodia. Why? My best friend, when I met him, 17, I was a youth pastor 17 years ago. 
I had no youth in my ministry, and I, and I was on the street, and I met a guy named V. He thus got saved 17 years ago. We've been best friends ever since, and he still serves at City Impact. He cooks 330,000 meals a year for the homeless people in the Tenderloin. He's my best friend. I never understood Cambodia before, but he's my best friend. I hung out with him. Cambodian New Year. Ate, at, ate with his family. Th- three years ago, we went to Cambodia. Me and my father-in-law, 10 businessmen, we dropped off $100,000, bought a plot of land, and we were going to build a woman and children's shelter. Two weeks ago, we got the video of them cutting the ribbon open for that place, which is now a woman and children's shelter in Cambodia. Why Cambodia? Because my friend's Cambodian. Listen. Eat. Befriend. Serve. And here's the other thing. Defend other races. Defend it. Defend them. Stand in the gap. Be like Paul. Stand up to racism, prejudice, injustice, excluding others. In closing, will you be like Peter or will you be like Paul? Will you slide down the slippery slope of backing away, separating yourself, demanding that people act like you, thus living out of line with the gospel? Or will you be like Paul, from the core of who you are, defend the Gentile, defend the outsider, include the outcasts of society into the kingdom of God? Father, thank you for PCC. Thank you for Pastor Gary and this wonderful church. Father, we receive your message, not from man, but from the scripture. Lord, that we are called to include others. People that don't look like us, talk like us, act like us. For this is the message of Christ. Please start in our heart, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.